With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Yes, indeed, that is me, and we are on the show where we know all the crew members' names from Gilligan's Island, even without using Google. But don't you cheat now. We've got some special things for you today on our program, including my special guest today, Jennifer Emery, who's coming to us live from the UK today, and she has a tremendous story of tragedy and triumph. Just wait till you hear it. Plus, she has turned a passion she has into a great business in spite of COVID-19. And you're going to want to hear that interview coming up here in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to have the seventh side of self, self-sabotage coming up in our leadership lesson. It's all today on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and today I'm welcoming my good friend, Jennifer Emery. She's a lifestyle transformation coach, and she's also the founder of the Dance Club at Home. 
You talk about overcoming numerous obstacles in her life. She's had a few, boy, but she's uh, managed to develop a healthy and happy and fulfilling life. And she's also built this fantastic online business we're going to talk about. She survived a near-death experience with Guillain-Barr syndrome when she was a teenager. And also, she had to get through the terrible experience of her brother taking his own life, which put her through an immense grief period. And uh, she accomplished it through music, through movement, and through mindset. And I'm excited to have her tell us a whole lot more about those three M's and more. She's coming to us live from the UK. Jennifer Emery, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. It's so lovely to be here today with you, Tony. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, especially since it's the middle of the afternoon for me, and it's almost the middle of the night for you. I know it's nine o'clock and it's nearly past my bedtime. I'm <laughs> <up> early. <laughs> well, let, let's tell a story here. We'll make it a bedtime story and then you can get off to sleep. How's that sound? That sounds great. So you grew up in, in the UK, in England, and uh, you told me that your dad was a country music singer. You too uh, had been a singer. Tell me about contracting this terrible disease that you had. Yeah, so I was 12 years old and um, it was a few days before Christmas and I can remember sitting on the sofa watching TV and I think my dad had been out singing because my dad used to do that's a country and western singer and he'd travel around and the UK um, with his band and I can remember sitting on the, the sofa sort of when he came back in and noticing a tingling sensation around my lips, it's almost like a, a pins and needles feeling. And the, it, it, it started to spread over the coming days um, across my face and then throughout my body. And by the day after Boxing Day, I'd gone from feeling these pins and needles, which started in my face, right the way through my body. And then by the day after Boxing Day, I could hardly walk. Um, and they had to take me into hospital. My parents had to literally drag me because I, I, I couldn't walk. Um, and they took me in and at the time the doctors just they didn't have any idea what they what it was they they thought it could have been meningitis so they gave me a lumbar puncture they gave, did so many different tests um, it's one of those occasions where you're, you're lying on a bed surrounded by the doctors the trainees um, if I could have sold tickets to people to how many people were there because they just didn't have a clue what it was and they were trying to sort of figure out um, but I can also remember being very frightened at the time because I was only 12 years old and I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, I, I ended up in intensive care. I couldn't, I couldn't lift my finger up. I could just about blink. Um, I was, um, it was a really, really hard and tough time and it was really, really difficult for my parents to see it. Um, to see, I could see in their face the worry um, you know, they didn't know what was happening. And it turned out that it was Guillain-Barre syndrome and only one in so many, I think at the time, so many million um, got this syndrome. Um, it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't very well known. The doctors didn't really know. They brought a specialist in um, to sort of look after me time. And that went on for quite a while. I was in intensive care for about a month and the doctors didn't know whether I'd actually come through if I had made it through, how I would be on the other side. So whether I'd be able to walk, whether I'd be able to run, 
whether they're able to do just the simple things that we all take for granted. Um, and I think the, the perseverance of my mum, who gave me physio pretty much on the hour, every hour, and bless her, she hardly slept, um, to just to help me get back to walking. And then within probably about six to 12 months, I was walking, um, walking properly. And I was able to, I suppose, start to live a more normal life, but it took several years to overcome the breathing difficulties that I had. Um, it was a very, very strange time, uh, a time that uh, I had to, the doctors actually said that usually when someone contracts this, they contract it again. Now touch wood, I've not actually contracted it since. So um, hopefully that's not gonna happen. Um, it's gone and not coming back. It, it's gone and it's not coming back. That's and right. I suppose to see where I am now to where I was then, to not knowing whether I'd be able to walk and to actually running a business all around dance and movement. It's incredible the, the the journey that I've been on. Gosh, you just, um, you know, you, I can't imagine. And I've been in that situation a couple of times where, you know, you got the breath knocked out of you or it's just maybe you had a real heavy chest cold or whatever and it's difficult to breathe. But thank God it only lasts a little while. I mean, yours went on for a long time. Yes, it did. I mean, in, in the hospital, the every I think it was every couple of hours they were checking my breathing. Uh, they had me blow. I can remember them had me blown into a tube. Um, it almost looked like a toilet roll holder <laughs> in this concept. Yeah. Um, the toilet roll um, that I'd have to blow into. That's all I can sort of sort of remember back from there. They kept checking it because my breathing. Um, it was getting harder and harder to breathe. So. Uh, it was touch and go and I nearly went onto a ventilator, but they managed to keep me off the ventilator. But I was, par I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my t little toe. I couldn't lift my finger up. And they had to feed me through a drip. And it, it was a really, really testing time and a really, really tough time. I think something like that, when that gets you, it, um, what I suppose what was a driving force for me, and we always say about everything, like what's your why reason? My why reason back then was because I loved hockey. And I wanted to play in the, there was a hockey in, in the team hockey for the school. Uh -huh. And that was my driving force in my head. It was to get out because I was missing out on playing hockey. Um, so whether that was something in me that, that, that made me determined that it wasn't going to beat me and that I was going to come through this um, and be fitter and stronger mentally and physically. And, you know, then you also had this terrible situation happen with the death of your brother. Yeah, that was... It's, it's very, very tough because for, for men, um, men don't generally talk about their feelings. Women generally talk more about their feelings than men do. Um, my brother, he would have been 49 last week, um, but it was in 2013 in June. And I can remember I was when I found out I was teaching a live fitness class in the community and I was, it was a, so it's a, it was a British Legion, so like a local um, club. And I can remember my husband walking into the room. I'll never forget the day. I was finishing off the class. Um, I was cooling the, 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 my clients off. And the song, The Circle of Life, was my cool down. Mm -hmm. My husband walked in and I could see him walking. I was thinking, why is he walking in by himself? He hasn't got my daughter, he hasn't got our daughters with him. 
why aren't his daughter why aren't our daughters there and I just saw his face and it was white as a sheet as I was cool and, and when I was thinking what's happened my first thought was my children our children what's what's happened something's happened and I finished the class off and he walked up onto the stage and he took me into the dressing room where he told me that my brother had taken his own life. He'd filled his pockets with stones and he'd taken himself to the local marine lake and he'd drowned. Oh he'd left he'd left notes for the family. Um it's actually sending um sort of shivers down my spine moment. Um it, it, it he yeah, he left notes saying they know he's better off not being here. Um, that he was at peace with himself and that it was it was the time to and it was it was a horrible experience. Now we all know we've all we've all lost someone in our life and generally you expect it for people to die of generally natural causes. You know, they they get older, that you age and then you you um you know we're we're all you know we're all dying <laughs> when we're born we're all, we're all going to put with death but sure, you don't know what you mean. someone to end it or to feel like they've got to end it. Um, and I think the hardest part was seeing the impact it had on my parents. Mm. Seeing that, because you never expect as a parent that your child will go before you. Right. You always expect that you'll go before before your children. Right. Um, and for them, the, the eldest son has gone before them and it wasn't, like it was sort of natural things that have happened. He actually decided that he didn't want to be here anymore. And my, my, he had um, bipolar. And it was very hard for a few years in the run up to it. We first noticed his, his change in moods. So it started off where um he was very vibrant my brother he was also a singer he loved to sing he loved the stage he loved um you, you know there was always a bit of um healthy competition between you know brother and sister i've got i've got um four brothers four older brothers and there's always always that competition with being the only only girl um that had to keep up with the brother my brothers and there's always this healthy competition about you know who was the best singer who could you know who was good at this and it was always sort of like the running joke um, but he got to the point where um, we now started to notice his moods change. We started to notice that um, it wasn't the normal Tom. It wasn't um, his, his moods were so up and down, and then it, it, it got worse relatively quickly, only over the space of a couple of years. Um, they put him on medication and as a result, he gained so much weight, which then sent him in a, into a depression. And he was a shadow of his former self. And the, you know, we tried so much to, to get, get help, but the problem with mental health is that, you know, people got you, when you got cut, people can see it. When you've broken your arm, you know, people can tell you've broken your arm and, and there's that sympathy there, isn't there? There's a, you know, oh, you, someone recognizes straight away. With mental health, a lot of the time, people don't know if someone's struggling with mental health. Oh, sure. Only those closest to them would know that. Right. Um, generally, most people keep that to themselves. It can be a very private thing, and there's a bit of a stigma around it, as we know. And obviously, there's more and more awareness being raised about it now, especially sort of um, for men, because as, as I said earlier, you know, for women, we generally will talk about things more so, whereas men generally keep it to themselves. 
Well, you know, you um, you talked about how you overcame this terrible, debilitating, personal, physical um, disease, yeah. and then this terrible, terrible personal tragedy. And mm-hmm. you you say you've kind of persevered through all this through music, movement, and mindset. Do you want to take those one at a time, or do they all kind of tie together? They they all they all sort of they do tie together. I mean, if I go back to when um, I had Guillain Barre getting out of it, I want I, my why reason was hockey. It was movement. It was you know I wanted to move. I also you know I, I I was a singer. I wanted to sing. I wanted to get on the stage. The music was there. I wanted to be back doing the things that I loved doing, um, and that made me happy. And I think a lot of the time we can forget about the things that, or we do less of the things that actually make us happy because we're doing everything else for everyone else. Um, and again, the same with my brother. So one of the things to, to get me through was music. Now I love music. I also fully understand how music can impact our moods. So um, after my brother passed, um, one of the things that uh, I made a conscious decision of was one, I was gonna, I needed to work on my mindset because I could sense that I was, my moods were dropping because uh, this is something that, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I wouldn't wish that, you know, anyone else to go through what we went through as a family and what to this day, you know, we're still going going through it. It it never goes away that pain, Um, but it's how you manage it. And with mindset, I very much, I only wish that years ago I knew more about personal development and I understood the importance of it. And for me, one of the things that I took up was I, I started to read, to read. And back in school, I didn't really read that. Reading wasn't really something that I enjoyed. I think I go, going back to school, I remember Animal Farm was one of the books that I read. Mm-hmm. Probably two other books. I can't even think of the name of the other two books. Probably three books that I can remember read that from school. Whereas now the amount of books that I'm reading on personal development, sort of in terms of mindset, confidence, um, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome, there's so many different books that I've read in the last few years that have helped me get my mindset on track and to also understand when my moods are dropping and how to, to and, and, and tips and how to flip that switch in my head to, to the positive side again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so simple things. So it's finding out sort of what may, what actually deep down, what makes me happy. Music makes me happy. I fully understand that how music can, can change someone's mood instantly. So, so we all know that there's, um, I'm trying to think of particular country and Western singers, you know, where you listen to the music and you, and you think, I just want to get up and I want to dance <laughs> or, you know, d- just keep dancing. Um, and then there's other artists who the music is a bit more, what, how should I put it? Crying um, your beer. <laughs> yes, crying your beer. And it's probably the worst thing that you can do and listen to when you you move when you're not in the right place you move so for me it was like right okay i wanted to create an environment where regardless of what's going on in your life if you're having such a stressful time in your life whether it's to do with covid right now to do with stress family work related that there's a place that you could come to that the music was going to be uplifting that it was going to have you smile it'd have you singing but you'd be working out at the same time so you'd be looking after your body looking after your health 
it was a community that a supportive community that will come together and support each other regardless of what's going on outside of it and that's where it, it was it, I found this I've created this community that I'm absolutely loving and and I suppose with my background of being in the music uh, meant to be in the music industry being a singer for 20 years and um, I think I meant, mentioned to you previously that um, I would sing three to four nights a week and I could be at different venues from one night to the next could have a handful of people one night you know a quiet bar not many people turn up apart from the bar staff and a few other people in the next night could have two or three thousand people in a large venue singing similar sets uh, but regardless of whether there were five people in a room or, or 5,000 people in a room, I, you, you can see the music that lifts people up, the music that, that, pull, that, that not pulls people down, pulls people down, but it, 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 it's not a positive impact on them mentally because they may start thinking about things that have happened that are more, more negative. Or So for me, it was like, I understand music. I know what lifts people up. And I'm very conscious, even with playlists that I'm creating, that it's all about uplifting um, and making people feel happier and almost dancing out of the darkness. So to know when you come in, come in um, to my community that I'm going to help you lift your moods, whatever mood you're in. Um, um, it's, 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 it's been an incredible journey. So tell me how you decided to take music, movement and mindset and put it all into a business. Well, I've, so I've been a, a fitness professional now for come to 10 years. And when I was made redundant, I was made redundant 10 years ago when I was on maternity leave with my daughter. And that was sort of my, um, how I fell into entrepreneurship slash business. It was basically, I was, I had my daughter and I was thinking, who's going to employ me? Uh, a mum. I've just, I just had, a, a, you know, my second child. And it was at that point where I was like, actually, I love, I love exercise. I love music, you know, and I thought, well, I'm going to take this. I'm going to become a fitness instructor. And I can remember starting my first um, class in the community and thinking, is anyone actually going to show up? <laughs> is anyone going to show up? And I had 46 people, I can remember, 46 people turned up to my class. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then the second class had 76 people turn up. Wow. And then third class, 96 people turned up. And I was thinking, okay, they're, they're like, and now at the time, I'd had my second daughter, I'd gained a lot of weight. I wasn't what someone would typically say a fitness instructor would look like. So I had a lot of body, body issues because I wasn't how I felt I should be as an instructor. So I didn't think what the people once they'd been wanted would want to come back, but they kept coming back and they loved it. And whether it was the entertainment factor that I've been on the stage for 20 years, brought together with my love of fitness and dance and, and that came together. So from there on in, I've been delivering dance fitness classes probably taught in excess of 120,000 people in the last 10 years. Um, so many people have, have um, had the honor and pleasure of warming up um, Race for Life events, which are large events for cancer and for breast cancer in the UK, um, where there've been thousands of ladies all raising money for charity. And I was the um, guest presenter and warm up act for that. So I've done, done that quite a few times. 
um, and teaching. So it, it went from sort of the community side of it and I suppose the journey of entrepreneurship for the last 10 years, um, the fitness, fitness and the community classes has always been part of it. But there was also the other side where it was like, well, actually, what happens, and we all know in business, what happens if you injure, especially in the fitness industry, what happens if you injure yourself? Are you going to be able to carry on with your business? Are you going to be able to, to carry on working and bringing an income? And for me, you know, I'd regularly have people saying, can you do more classes? Can you put them on at this time? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I was only one person. Um, and when you've got family as well as everything else, the, 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 you only have so much time in the day. And it was a few years ago um, when I started doing some online coaching that I suppose it opened my eyes to how I can make a bigger impact and how I can help more people. And I realized that I was playing small because what, what I was doing was not, it, it was helping a few people, but I just felt I could help more. And I think after Tom, Tom passed, it made me realize that life is so short that we should go out and we should um, make an impact. So, so was COVID an accelerator for you to move completely online then? Um, it, it definitely was. Back towards the end of last year, I decided, right, I was going to move my fitness classes, start moving my fitness classes online. And I set up the platform in January and I got to work on building the platform, the website, landing pages, all the things that you need to do when you're going online. Um, and I set a date for launch is the 23rd of March for the launch of the online platform. And it just so happened COVID hit and closed down my community classes on the 23rd of March. And oh, it, was, wow. it was crazy because it was like, it was almost like one door closed and the other door opened. Now I'd already planned this date to go live to launch before COVID had actually hit. There was obviously, we were aware slightly in January of COVID over in China, but it was, hadn't really hit the UK then. Um, so my date for, for going live was, I'd set that date and then it, it just so happened that, you know, we were told, right, we have to close everything down. And it was, it was almost like this wasn't obviously meant to be. <laughs> and for everybody who's listening, I'll just tell you the name of her business, Jennifer Emery, uh, the dance club at home. And I purposefully didn't say that cause I wanted you guys to hear the whole story about, Jennifer's journey and how she came to uh, do the business and then moving it online and everything, but it's called the dance club at home. Now, what three things, I'm going to ask you this question, Jennifer, what three things did you learn about taking your business from live uh, in person to more online? What would you tell people they need to think about if they're going to be taking their business online? Okay. But I mean, so especially I'd say if you've got a service-based business, Regardless of what it is, whether you're a beautician, a hairdresser, a tattoo artist, whether you can take your business online and provide um, a membership or a course or training online. So don't be afraid to think that actually it always has to be face to face. Um, I mean, I suppose the first thing that I would recommend is get support, get a VA. And I think for me, 
back in March when I actually went live, I didn't have a VA and I was doing everything myself. I was trying to learn about the platform, the technology, what a landing page was, what automations were. And it was, there was a lot to take in. So the BA is an assistant of some kind, right? Yeah, a virtual, a virtual assistant. Yeah. So take on someone who knows what they're doing, who knows what the plat- platform is like, that can help you get up and running quicker. Now, I know there'll be a lot of people when they start in business saying, I don't have the money to take someone on. So I want to share with you the story of how I actually, because obviously my income had stopped in March. My income from my community classes just stopped overnight. And when you said, you know, a self-employed and you run running a fitness business and all your income stops overnight, you know, there's nothing else coming in. Mm. It's like, well, how am I going to afford to pay for this um, virtual assistant? So we have a caravan motorhome, do you call it? Uh, yeah, yeah. We have a caravan. RV. Um, an RV. Yep. And what we want, what we want, what we did about 12 months ago, 18 months ago, is we put it on our driveway. But the only way to get it on the driveway was to, to knock down part of our sandstone wall to get it up the drive. So for the last 12 or 18 months, I had a pile of sandstone rubble on our drive, which has been sitting there. So what I said was, right, okay. I need, this, I need an assistant. How am I going to pay for it? I'm going to put that um, sandstone on eBay and see how much I get for it. And whatever I get for it, I'm going to use that for, uh, for some VA services and see what they can get done in a few hours. And I think I sold it for about £80, which must be about $100 or that, maybe right. $100. Yeah. And it got me X number of hours with a VA and my eyes were opened as to how much work the VA could actually get done in that time compared to what I could do. And it was like, right, okay, I need, I need this VA more. I need to, I need to find ways to pay for this VA to help me move my business forward. So I rummaged through my, my wardrobe. Um, I pulled out gym leggings that I'd never worn before that and clothes I'd never worn. I put them on eBay and I sold them. And that's how for the first probably month I paid for my VA. Now, as a result of me doing that, I was able to move my business forward so much in that time. So I definitely recommend that rather than saying, I can't afford to take someone on to help me, say, how can I make this happen? And it's changing that mindset, say, how can I make this happen? Looking around, the, looking, you know, if it's looking around your house saying, what do I not need? What is just sitting there that, that I can sell? Because if I'm, if you're serious about the business, it's okay. How can I um, get that money together for it? So, yeah, I definitely recommend getting a VA. And I'm just in the process of taking on another VA as well, which is exciting as the business is growing um, even more. Um, number two, the second thing I'd recommend is ensure that you've got the right tools to scale it. Because obviously, once you go online, you do have the ability to scale it up around the world and not just sort of think locally. So I use I use Kajabi. Whether you put that, I use Kajabi because it hosts my website, my emails, my landing pages, my blog, and it allowed me to do my automations and systems. And for me, for someone who isn't big on technology, I wanted to keep it as simple as possible and all in one place without having to have plugins and all sorts of different things that I had to get my head around. Gotcha. It also, yeah, it also meant when I took a VA on, all they needed to do, all they needed to know, I suppose, was how to use that platform. They didn't need to know how to use multiple different platforms. So it just makes it easier and quicker. 
So that was the second thing that I'd recommend is making sure that you've got the right tools. And there are obviously a, a variety of different tools to go online. But for me, I, I've sort of used Kajabi for that. And then the third one is don't wait until it's perfect before you launch it. I think we all think that we want it to be perfect. Just start, start messy, start. Uh, you know, I, I started, I think when I, when I started on the 23rd, you could probably count on both hands the number of videos I had in my membership platform. Um, that hardly any, whereas now I've got, there's hundreds, there's hundreds. So very, very quickly, I built that up. But at the time, if I, if I felt that, you know, I had to wait till I had X amount on, then I probably wouldn't have started. So start just in, and you'll find very, very quickly, you'll tweak and you'll learn as you go, and you'll always be evolving anyway. Um, you'll find, I know for me, even six months time, the, the membership site will be in a completely different place to where it is now because it's evolving. Jen, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've told clients, let's <laughs> go for progress over perfection. Yes, yes. so definitely. They're, they're my three um, recommendations. That's wonderful. Thanks for the advice. I know our listeners appreciate it. Hey, uh, listen, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell people how they can find out more about the dance club at home and how they can contact you and connect with you. And I, I appreciate you sharing your heart today and, and the story uh, of your life and all. I just, I find it fascinating. And I usually think if I find it fascinating, a lot of our listeners are going to find it um, fascinating and, and, and helpful too. how you overcame it and the those three channels, uh, music, movement, and mindset that you plugged into that eventually became a business for you. And now you've taken the whole thing online and it's just wonderful. I'm so proud of what you've been able to do. I've got 12 closing questions here that are pretty rapid fire that I'm going to shoot at you here. Okay. <laughs> All right. One, what is the best memory that comes to mind for you? Oh, the best memory is we're um, opening our Christmas presents with my, my brother and my, all with all my brothers and we all got musical instruments. So one got a drum, pair of drum, my brother got drums, I got a keyboard and a microphone. So we all got different musical instrument, instruments at Christmas time. So that's... Who's the number one hero in your life? Oh, it'd have to be a joint one that my mom and dad, definitely. What's the top value you subscribe to? Integrity. Who's the most important person in your life? Oh, again, it, it would have to be, can I say family's collective, as in husband and children? You can say anything you want. <laughs> my husband and my children. Oh, and our dog. We can't leave our dog out. What's the dog's name? Marlo. She's oh. nuts. Marlo. <laughs> um, what is your favorite thing? Can I say chocolate if I'm a fitness instructor? Yeah, you can say whatever <laughs> you want. Chocolate. All right. Now that leads right into what is your favorite food? Oh, oh, there's so many, so many. Uh, oh, I'll say salmon at the moment. I'm going through a bit of a salmon phase. Okay. If you were going to go in the kitchen and you were going to make something for yourself, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Okay, great. Most beautiful place you've ever visited? The Maldives, without a doubt. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Happiness. How do you want to be remembered? As 
as someone that's made an impact on the world through through music but and and fun that was that was a rubbish one that one i I need more time to think about that one (laughs) i'm looking forward to this next one i've been looking forward to it the whole time we've been talking so here we go if you could go back and you could have some advice for a young gen what would that be oh to stop being a people pleaser for so many years I was a yes, Jen. Any time someone wanted something done, it was yes, 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 um, regardless of how it impacted me. So I'm no longer a people pleaser and trying to please everyone. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. What's your favorite sound? Cheesy pop. As in pop music from the the, the 80s. I just, that, that's a sound for me is it. Yeah, mine too, but mine would be from like 10 years earlier. Mine would be cheesy pop from the 70s. All right, okay. Okay, and what's the best lesson? I mean, you talked about being a voracious reader. What's the best lesson you've learned so far? Is not to neglect your mental health. And I think we all, fo- a lot of us focus on how we look physically on the outside, but we forget to look after our mental health and that we need to work on that every day. So when you're... Whether you're working out, whether you go, whether you go to the gym, you do a dance class, you do an online fitness class, whatever it is, are you spending a similar amount of time on your on your mental health to look after that? Whether it's with um, through um, positive podcasts, reading, or meditation. You took all those questions like a champ. <laughs> Way to go! Whew. <laughs> hey, listen, before I let you go and retire for the evening. I uh, want you to tell everybody how they can find out more about Dance Club at Home and how they can connect with Jennifer Emery. Yes, of course. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Dance Club at Home, then you can find me on Facebook, the Dance Club at Home, or if you want to email me at um, the team at thedanceclubathome.com or the website is www.thedanceclubathome.com. And going forward, we're actually launching corporate fitness packages so we can help, especially now where most most employees are working from home. Um, we're wanting to get more and more uh, of your employees active, many people active as possible. So it's a busy time ahead. So if you're after details, then don't hesitate to get in touch. And thank you so much for having me. Hi, much love and appreciation from here in the U.S. And um, Jennifer, you're one of my heroes. I love your story. Oh, thank you. All right. Have a nice evening. Give everybody a hug for me, and uh, we'll have you back sometime, okay? Thank you again. Have a lovely evening. Jennifer Emery from the Dance Club at Home. I'm Tony Richards. I'll have more for you on Better Than Before right after this. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. 
Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to another episode of Better Than Before. It's time for our leadership lesson. I'm Tony Richards, and we've been going through my model, the uh, eight sides of self, and we're up to number seven, which is self-sabotage. Now, self-sabotage happens in leaders usually because of an overall low self-esteem. Our lower value of worth to ourselves is not strong enough for us to believe we deserve or should enjoy a certain level of success. You'd probably be astonished at the uh, some of the higher level leaders that I've worked with who believe they are simply lucky for having achieving what they have rather than believing they've worked diligently to produce their results and becoming comfortable with that. Self-sabotage, let me define it for you. It's any action that we use to get in the way of us achieving what we really want. We pull the pin, as I like to say. It's, it's an old term used to describe disengaging from the train that is headed toward a desired destination. You pull the pin and the car separates from the rest of the train and leaves itself behind, right? So we unhook from the train because we fear what waits for us at the end instead of what we desire in order to be there. The self-sabotage actions will range from, see if any of these sound familiar to you, procrastination, stressful eating, interpersonal conflict, pulling back suddenly from friends and family such as canceling long-planned events or meetings to deeper issues such as drug and or alcohol abuse. Now, today I thought I'd give you the four uh, reasons that I've seen more than any other why people self-sabotage. And the first one is fear of being called out. And sometimes even leaders at the highest level feel like they've made it so far, but the day is coming where they'll be exposed as a fraud or their cover will be blown. It's natural to fear looking foolish or occasionally having an embarrassing answer in a group. It's a called imposter syndrome, and it's another matter altogether, and researchers believe that up to 70% of us have suffered from imposter syndrome at some point or another. Perfectionism piles on to this and makes it worse, leaving you feeling as if you're never good enough. Leaders use self-deprecating humor or put themselves down when they start to feel they're going to be exposed by someone else. In other words, let me stab myself before someone else stabs me. Here's the second one. It's simply fear failure. When leaders have this in severe fashion, they will self-sabotage first rather than letting their fear play out in reality. Now, some leaders will never know how close they were to success because they bailed out due to just crippling, uh, that feeling that crippling fear of coming up short. So they bailed on it. Number three, we don't feel worthy. Leaders sometimes, due to the programs they have, and a lot of times these programs were installed as they were growing up, 
uh, by their family or through uh, school or through other activities we all had as we were growing up. But sometimes we don't feel adequate to the task, whatever that might be. And those thoughts and feelings are very powerful, and our subconscious doesn't know the difference between those images and what is really accurate and true. So when we get to the point where those thoughts and feelings of unworthiness get too painful, we pull the pin, and we bail out of the situation as soon as we possibly can. And finally, number four is a loss of control. When we have low self-esteem and it seems as if the situation is rapidly expanding beyond our range of control, our fears kick in. It feels better to control your own failure than allow it to escape and control you or allow it to blindside you. It doesn't feel good to give in, but a self-controlled failure feels better than going down in flames publicly. Now, a lot of these self-esteem issues can be worked on. They can be, I hate to use the word fixed, but they can be improved upon. And a lot of it has to do with just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and also being okay with looking foolish short-term in order to succeed long-term. Because all of us in the early stages of anything, no matter what it is, when we're first doing it, it's going to feel funny. We're not going to be very good at it. We don't want to see people unless we're at our best. And a lot of times that just self-sabotages us to get to where we really would like to be. Well, that's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Hey, do me a favor. Sign up for our Monday morning memo. It's not really a favor for me. It's more of a favor for you because it's so easy. All you have to do is go to our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, and it's right on the front page. We just need your name and your email address, and you'll be set to receive the big ideas, an article, and a key question for your week every Monday with the Monday morning memo. Sign up today. You'll be glad you did. You can follow me on Twitter at TonyRichards4, and you can follow our company at Clear Vision DEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and our chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, saying I will see you again next week with another episode of Better Than Before. And I want to remind you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.